If you'd like to turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, I'll read the whole chapter. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So let me pray with that word from God uh, in our hearts and minds. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that you have given. And we thank you for Jeremiah the prophet. Thank you for his faithfulness in delivering your words so often of judgment. And Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would give us insight into your word, 
that we may see what you have put there and that we may be drawn again and again to Jesus, your Son. Amen. Jeremiah was given a daunting job. Uh, even that chapter 1 makes that crystal clear. It wasn't going to be simple. But in this chapter, there's two wonderful promises, uh, almost identical. Uh, hopefully you, you saw them as we went through. Verse 8, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 19, they will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Wonderful promise, the Lord saying, I'm with you to deliver you. Life will be hard, Jeremiah, but I'm with you to deliver you. Now the question I want to bring us this morning is, what does the Lord mean when he makes this promise? I think it's an important question. What does he mean when he makes this promise? If you said to your 10-year-old child, people will be against you, but don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, what would you mean? You'd probably mean, I'm not far away. If things get too much, I'll be there to step in. I'll make sure that you're not overwhelmed, that you're not overcome. I will be there for you. That's reasonable, isn't it? It's probably what you would mean by that promise. Well, it seems to me as we read Jeremiah and we find out the life that he lived, it's very hard to see that God keeps this promise to him. If I were Jeremiah, going through all that Jeremiah went through, I'm not sure that at the end of my life, I would quite be believing this promise. Let me just remind you of one or two things that, uh, that Jeremiah has to go through. Uh, just a few verses to kind of flick through in Jeremiah. Chapter 15. Now, Jeremiah's been preaching judgment, as he always seems to have to do. And it's not from a distance. It's uh, in Jerusalem, usually straight into the faces of the people and the leaders. And at this point, chapter 15, verse 1, Then the Lord said to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my heart would not turn towards this people. Send them out of my sight and let them go. And when, you, when they ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine, those who are for captivity to captivity. Jeremiah had to say that face to face in close contact with the leaders of Judah, saying, even the great Moses, even the great Samuel, God says, I wouldn't listen to them if they prayed for you. That's how bad you are. That's how much I'm rejecting you. Go and be killed. Go and get diseased. Go and be slaughtered. Now, if you have to say that once, that would be difficult. But Jeremiah had to, Jeremiah had to say it again and again and again, year after year, king after king, leader after leader, Jeremiah seemed to have the same message. And he's not 
the kind of man that just uh, you know, takes it in his stride. Verse 10. Jeremiah says, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. And verse 15. O Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance on me, for me on my persecutors. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproaches. Your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy, the delight of my heart. I'm called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I didn't sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you not be to... Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Jeremiah is struggling with the burden of this message from the Lord against the people. Uh, he recognizes that God is the Lord. He delights in his words. But on the other hand, he hates to have to deliver this message. So what's the Lord's response to Jeremiah when he makes this kind of heartfelt call? Verse 20. The Lord says, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. Same promises in chapter 1. God doesn't say, I'm sorry I've been so hard on you, I'll give you a break. He says, you're going to be a, 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 a battlement that will be attacked again and again and again. But I'm with you to deliver you. And Jeremiah must be thinking, what do you mean by that? How are you with me? How are you delivering me? Things get worse for Jeremiah. He ends up in prison. Uh, he, uh, different kings, under different kings, he's uh, in prison. He's under guard. He's not free at different times. Uh, he gets Barak, his faithful scribe, to, well, God tells him, get Barak to write down all the words that you've given. And Jeremiah gets them all written down. Barak must have spent ages doing that. Uh, I've never written a book, but I imagine writing a book's hard work. And Jeremiah's a long book. He's written it all down. Uh, the king hears about it, and the king uh, listens to the, the scroll being read. And every kind of couple of rules, uh, three or four columns, it says, he gets his penknife, cuts them off, puts them in the fire after he's heard them read. The whole scroll of Jeremiah is burnt. Uh, so Jeremiah, if you like, psychologically tortured in lots of different ways, and that's one of them. Then, of course, in chapter 38, he's thrown into the cistern. It's a very graphic telling. He's, he's lowered in, and it's not dry. He sinks into the mud, and it's clear that he'll die there if something doesn't happen quickly. And someone does rescue him. He's set free. Ebed-Melech comes and uh, pleads with the king and uh, Jeremiah gets lifted out. It takes a lot of people to lift him out of this cistern. So is that the Lord delivering him? Rescuing him? Well, I suppose it is. But yeah, he's still in prison. He's still, he's still, his life is still under threat. He remains in prison. And he remains in prison until Jerusalem's captured. 
And here at last, perhaps, Jeremiah gets his freedom because uh, the, uh, one of the, the guys who's in charge of the capture of Jerusalem says to him, you've been predicting this uh, and now the king of Babylon has come and done it. You're free. Uh, and if I was Jeremiah, I'd think, wonderful. And I'd sneak away somewhere private and quiet for a, a nice easy retirement. But Jeremiah decides, I'm going to stay in the city. And he connects to Gedaliah, the, the, the guy who's been appointed to run the city. But Gedaliah gets assassinated. Jeremiah gets uh, taken on by the, the, the next lot that seem to be wanting to run Jerusalem. But they're scared, so they're going to go to Egypt uh, to flee to Egypt. So they ask Jeremiah, what's the word, word of the Lord on this? Jeremiah says, don't go to Egypt, stay here. After 10 days, the Lord gives them that message. And they say to Jeremiah, you're a liar. And they forcefully take Jeremiah to Egypt. And in Egypt, Jeremiah prophesies some more, saying, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't be here, you're turned against God. And then we hear no more from Jeremiah. Does he get rescued? Is the Lord with him in his troubles to deliver him? You don't feel that. It doesn't seem like that if you're Jeremiah. So the question again, what did the Lord mean by his promise? Uh, we take the Bible seriously. It's God's word. If God made this promise, he's not going to fail. So that's why the question is, what does he mean by this promise? Many Christians have uh, fridge magnets with nice Bible verses on them. And many Christians have these promises from Jeremiah 1 on their fridge. I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. That's a bad verse to put on your fridge. Are you asking to be treated like Jeremiah was treated? That promise was not for us. That promise was for Jeremiah. Before he was conceived, the Lord said, I am picking you to be the butt of all my anger against my people. I'm going to thrust you into the middle of their, their wickedness. You will suffer at their hands. You will tell them they're going to die and you'll suffer more. And that will go on and on and on for 40 years and then you'll die. That promise for Jeremiah, whatever it means, is not a promise for us. So what did the Lord mean uh, by that promise? I want to suggest uh, to you that a first kind of suggestion on this might be we're not Jeremiah, but we can probably take something from this. If we want to serve the Lord, and each of us must want to do that if we're his people, we want to serve the Lord. We're not being taken on by a soft and lenient master. Living the Christian life is not an easy thing. We're setting up to serve a master who may well drive us all the way to our deaths without relief or let up. Jesus himself said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And it's in that light that this promise has to be read. I am with you and will deliver you, says the Lord.
But let me take another step now. We've got two more steps to go. The next step uh, to take seems to me to, to say, well, if we're not Jeremiah, the promise is not for us. How do we then read it? And it seems to me, uh, if we think about Jeremiah and Jesus, there's a very clear connection. They don't just begin with the letter J. There's more to it than that. Jeremiah is the only prophet you could really call the suffering prophet. Of all the prophets that are written uh, in Scripture, we know more about him and his life. And the more you look at Jeremiah's life, the more parallel it is to the life of Jesus. We can't fail to, to see these things. Before he was formed in the womb, the Lord knew him. Before he was born, he was set apart for his prophetic work. Uh, Jesus, uh, others too, but Jesus was definitely uh, there. When Simeon uh, said to Mary, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. I'll be, we're taking most of this from, from Luke, because Luke seems to be the closest uh, parallel or show the closest parallel of Jesus to Jeremiah. Luke chapter 2, verse 34. Simeon has the child Jesus in his arms, and he, he says uh, to Mary, Bless, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. That's a promise like the promise Jeremiah had. A promise of struggle, of difficulty, of pain, of sorrow for his mother, but also for, for Jesus. Jeremiah, throughout the book, uh, speaks against various groupings of leaders in Judah. When Jesus uh, is shown in the Gospels, he's speaking against various groups of leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, all others, uh, so on, uh, the Romans. The groupings are very similar in Jeremiah and uh, in the Gospels. Jeremiah chapter 11 and verse 21. Sorry, there's a bit of flicking to do if you want to uh, follow, follow the readings. Jeremiah 11 verse 21 So Jeremiah, of course, was uh, brought up in Anathoth. So 11.21 says, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life and say, Do not prophesy in the name of the Lord or you will die by our hand. And Jesus, of course, said no prophet is welcomed in his own town. And when he was in Nazareth, well, uh, why not read it? Luke chapter 4. In verse 16. Luke 4:16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and he uh, reads from Isaiah. Then verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth, and they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. They put a challenge to him. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Then verse 28. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. 
And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Very similar to Jeremiah's experiences. In Luke 3, verse 9, saying we're near there in Luke chapter 3, verse 9, Jesus said, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And it's only Jeremiah that uses the axe imagery as a, a picture of judgment. And Luke uh, 12, Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. And in Jeremiah, this same phrase of casting fire is used to mean bringing judgment on Jerusalem. Jesus, uh, in chapter 6 of Luke, uh, verse 26, Jesus says, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. And of course, Jeremiah is full of the false prophets who predict great things and everyone thinks they're wonderful. And they, they speak uh, peace when there is no peace. But this phrase, false prophets, Jeremiah seems to have coined that phrase. And here Jesus uses it uh, in Luke. Very much picking up the idea, the imagery of the false prophets that Jeremiah confronted and that confronted him. And of course, Jeremiah was set mostly in Jerusalem. That's where all his judgments were, were, uh, were, were aimed, the Jerusalem and its leaders. And Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 9, sets his face, uh, doesn't he, to go to Jerusalem. And all his judgments are focused there on the leaders in Jerusalem. When the days drew near, this is uh, Luke 9, 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he goes with words of uh, condemnation as well as uh, some offers of hope. So Jesus and Jeremiah both uh, had their biggest battles, uh, their threats of death, their primary threats of death, in Jerusalem itself. Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. And he wept over the fate of the people of Jerusalem. And the one quotation from uh, Jeremiah that's in Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, verse 46. Or even verse 45. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who, who sold, saying to them, It's written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Those last words are quotation from Jeremiah 7. A hideout for robbers. And that's exactly the picture that Jeremiah created of the leaders of Jerusalem. They were going to the temple the wicked men going to the temple as their hideout, the very place where God lived. That, they took that as their hideout to enjoy the fruits of their wickedness. 
And Jesus cites that to say exactly the same thing. The, the, the leaders in Jerusalem in his day are using the temple as a hideout, a den, to enjoy the fruits of their wickedness. The trial of Jesus, of course, is, uh, has lots of uh, images from Jeremiah. Jeremiah wasn't uh, killed in Jerusalem or just outside Jerusalem or anything like that, but the trials uh, were in Jerusalem, and he was threatened with death by those with authority to kill him. Jesus, of course, went a step further. So the question then comes again, what does the Lord mean when he makes these promises to Jeremiah? And I would say it's the same promise he makes to his son. What does the father mean when he makes these promises to his son? I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So this is our third step. So turn with me to Psalm 22. We're going to follow these, uh, this little sequence of Psalms uh, just briefly. Psalm 22. And think of Jeremiah as, as well as uh, think of Jesus here. Psalm 22 verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Verse 14. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. Verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So much of this is reminiscent of Jeremiah, but of course it's speaking of Jesus. Verse 20. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me, from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. And those words are like the words that Jeremiah sometimes speaks in the middle of his, uh, his depressed moments. He can speak of the Lord like this. But then, uh, then we, we carry on, verse 24. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him. He has heard when he cried to him. How did he hear? How did he hear Jeremiah? How has he heard Jesus? We'll turn to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Imagine Jeremiah saying that in Jesus. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Perhaps a, an image, Jesus on the cross, uh, picturing uh, in his, uh, when he's really struggling. Perhaps Jeremiah in a, a good moment, able to see the Lord is making nice promises. Verse 4, it becomes reality. Even though I walk through the valley 
of the shadow of death. What stance will I take? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me or they direct me or they control me. But it gets better, verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what comes next? After the days of my life are over, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus on the cross, having spoken out Psalm 22 and bits of it, uh, moving into Psalm 23, longing for this meal, this banquet that's prepared in the face of this uh, shadow of death. But with this promise, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And of course, Psalm 24 comes next. We take a breath, a step back and Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The glory of the Lord and the earth that he has created. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall ascend Zion? Who shall come to meet God on his mountain? Who shall stand in his holy place? The answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to falsehood and does not swear deceitfully. Was that Jeremiah? No. Was that Jesus? Yes. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And then we get a, a further movement up or forward. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. What does the Lord mean when he makes his promise to Jeremiah? What does he mean when Jesus picks up the same promise in his life following in the track, in the path of Jeremiah? I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Seems to me what the Lord means is that he will be with us to deliver us faithful to the end. Jeremiah could have died much younger, but the Lord had a job for him, so he didn't. The Lord was faithful to Jeremiah, keeping him going with his word from the Lord uh, in the terror of his life. He was with him and delivered him so that he would have this new kingdom to enter that Jesus pioneered for him through the cross, through the resurrection, uh, through the heavens, walking with his head held high, uh, the king of glory coming into his palace, his home, uh, the true home of God, Jesus, 
the conquering king enters home for Jeremiah, for us. God has been faithful to his promise to Jesus. He delivered him through the cross, through the resurrection, ascending into heaven. So what does this promise mean then for us? Can we take it in any way for ourselves? Well, isn't it more or less the same promise? Uh, turn to Luke chapter 9 uh, as, we, as we finish. Luke chapter 9, verse 24. I am with you to deliver, deliver you, declares the Lord. What's God's intention for us? What has he given us to do if we belong to Jesus? He's given us responsibility as servants. Go and do your work. Go and do your job. I'll empower you with my spirit. Keep doing it till you're no longer on earth. Keep doing it till you die. I am with you to deliver you to keep you safe so that you can work until I bring you into my kingdom. The Holy Spirit joins us to Jesus Christ. The Spirit brings us into Jesus' life and he has kept, Jesus himself has been faithful to God and has won for himself this place of glory. We come to Jesus, we put our trust in him and this promise becomes ours. He will deliver us in the end, into Jesus' kingdom. He will deliver us safe. He will keep us faithful, having done the work he calls us to do. And then we enter with Jesus into this glorious kingdom. Luke 9, 24. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. How do we save our life? by reckoning the true life to be in the kingdom with Christ. And therefore we are willing to lose our life here. For most of us it doesn't feel like that because life is not as difficult as Jeremiah's. And yet the call in a sense is the same. Follow Jeremiah, follow Christ in their suffering. Trusting in Christ, clinging to him by the power of the Spirit. We lose our life for his sake. And that means we find it. That means Christ will stand for us in judgment. Uh, if you like the, the opposite of what verse 26 says. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words. Him will the son of man be ashamed. When he comes in his glory. With the, in his glory. And the glory of the father. And of the holy angels. In other words when Christ comes in his glory. Uh, and in the father's glory of the father. And of the holy angels. And if we have been faithful to him. He will stand up for us and say, you are my friend. You are with me. And we enter into the kingdom on the strength of Christ's faithfulness. And the promise will keep us going until Christ welcomes us in. It's a great promise, but it's probably not a good promise for a fridge magnet. But it's a great promise if we bear Jeremiah and Jesus in mind. Let me pray. Our Father, we read of Jeremiah and we wonder how he coped. We wonder how he 
remained faithful all through those years. We wonder that he had the courage to speak your word. And we probably find ourselves thinking that we could never have done that. You gave him all he needed to stay, to stick at it. Father, we ask that you would enable us to be faithful to you, that your Spirit would direct us, would take us forward in service, that we would have our hearts set not on a peaceful life, but in pleasing our Master. And in that sense, that we would follow in Jeremiah's footsteps and in Jesus' footsteps. Father, we ask that you'd enable us to cling to this promise, not that you'll deliver us into a peaceful life on earth, but that you'll deliver us faithful to your glorious kingdom in Jesus Christ. Amen.